0: Hey kids, welcome back to On Stage, Off Stage. I'm your host, George Sapio. In June of 2016, Catherine Brooks, the Senior Arts and Culture Editor for the Huffington Post, wrote, According to the Dramatist Guild of America... Only 22% of the plays being produced in the United States are written by women. Perhaps a stronger way of communicating this statistic is through the words of playwright Marsha Norman. In regard to gender parity, if life worked the way the theater does, four out of every five things you heard would be said by men. Ms. Brooks continues, other stats are more depressing. The American Theater Magazine reported that in the 2015-2016 season, only 21% of the 1,914 produced plays were written by women. The fact that there's been a gender disparity in the theater business is nothing new. It's been a hot topic of discussion for years. Our guest this month is Zakia Alexander. She is a playwright and a member of the Kilroys. Who are the Kilroy's? Oh, well, I'm glad you asked. They are a tight affiliation of playwrights and producers whose mission is to raise awareness of female and trans with a star playwrights and open up opportunities for said underrepresented playwrights. As their website, which is www.thekilroy's.org, says, they are, and I quote, done talking about gender parity and are taking action.
1: Kilroys are 13 writers and or producers of theatre. We all are Los Angeles based. Uh, the Kilroys really started at a dinner where we were randomly sort of together. Um, theatre artists from all over the country, all drawn to Los Angeles for different reasons. And we were kind of just talking about the issue with gender parity, which is something that all women playwrights discuss and deal with in their own time. And uh, we were sort of talking about how we knew that there were good plays, but there seemed to be a division with artistic directors and theaters finding these plays. And we've heard many, many artistic directors sort of say, we really wish we could find a play written by a female writer, but we just don't have any good ones. Uh, We've heard this. And we sort of thought we want to do something proactive and do something sort of positive for the industry, where we just give you what you've been seeking. We answer your question, and we create a resource of vetted plays, uh, the best or the most, uh, the most talked about plays, and we create a sort of a source for everyone to have these plays at hand. And so you can't ever say that sentence again. We just can't find any good plays because suddenly you've got thirty to fifty right at your disposal any time uh, that you use them.
0: okay, That sentence did kind of stun me because I really didn't expect to hear somebody say. Especially a literary manager or a producer or somebody who runs a theater who is—and I'm using air quotes here for the podcast crew—looking um, to you know have variation and in, in gender parity that we don't, we can't find any good ones.
1: It's been a conversation that's been happening for years. Uh, Julia Jordan, with her fifty-fifty theater, she many years ago had a conference at New Dramatists in New York. And there were about four or five artistic directors, including Oscar Eustace. He was told, as the other artistic directors were on the panel, what his inclusion, what the numbers really looked like, and he was surprised. He didn't realize he hadn't produced as many women as he had men. He just didn't occur to him. And I think it's that lack of... uh, I think we're so used to the normative theater uh, seasons being so filled with men that it actually took everyone a pause, a moment, to sort of reflect and go, wait, how many women are we producing? So I think Julia Jordan really helped to start that conversation many years ago, but it's one that's been continued. Uh, The other artistic directors, so I won't name them all who are on that panel, sort of said the same thing to a certain extent. Um, We would love, I feel like uh, Atlantic Theater, they were saying "We we would love to do more plays by women, but we don't really have any that fit our company. We would love to find these plays, but we're not finding them. So, uh, And then there was that quote many years ago around the time of the Kilroys of what's going down the pipeline. And we sort of thought, how can the pipeline be this broken when all of us know the plays that exist, that have been out there, that have been developed, that have been vetted, that have been commissioned? Uh, We know these plays exist, and yet they're having a very hard time making it to your seasons. And it seems like, there's only one woman generally a season of all male writers. So, what can we do about that?
0: Is it that they can't find any good ones, or is it that we're talking males of whichever uh, uh, variation can't relate to the issues that women and trans folk are writing about?
1: I think that that I can't find them is 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 a loaded statement. It's not. It's obviously not really true it's maybe finding a play that that artistic director can respond to or relate to and I think you're just as right as as about thinking about who the protagonist is and who the reader is and who you can sort of see through their own eyes I would say we definitely have the sort of same conversation if we think about it racially as well where a white protagonist is always generally middle-class and you very rarely see a person of color who's the protagonist who's a middle class, who their struggles aren't so seeped in race conversation, right? So I think the same thing happens in a gendered way. We're very used to certain protagonists, we're very used to certain structures, uh, sort of in a general loose sense, sort of the male protagonist structure of a classic play. And I think that there's a hesitancy with characters and a world that you don't know, and sometimes that just happens with gender. It's the only excuse I can find uh, since the numbers really haven't changed in about 100 years.
0: Are the numbers changing at all since uh, in the past 10 years or so? Is there an, an upcrease uh in plays being done by women and uh, uh, trans folk? Is, is, think- is, is, is the model changing?
1: I think the model is changing subtly. If nothing else, the conversation is, is shifted in a, in, a, in a great way. Um, an example of this is, I believe last year, MTC's season, um, Manhattan Theater Club season, mm-hmm. was virtually almost all male. Uh, this followed with a the, with the response from the Kilroys, New York Times article, the Guardian article that I believe I was quoted in. Um, and we saw an immediate shift. They announced that their final slot was actually a, a woman. And this season is a completely different season, Uh, not only more diverse, but also more women writers. So I think what's beginning to happen to a certain extent is when the numbers aren't changing on their own, theaters are now being called out on uh, their gender choice and what this sort of means for the community. However, I would say I don't think things have changed in a great uh, way since the Kilroys have been along, not yet. It's only been a few years for us. And the last 10 years, you can see that the numbers are beginning to shift slightly by percentage-wise, but they're not anywhere near what our goal is, which is sort of a 50-50 theater season.
0: Gotcha. I I have been hearing this argument for at least 10, 12 years. Um, I'm in dialogue with a lot of playwrights, many of whom are uh, female and trans, and it's the same thing. It's, it's been the, the, the bitter gripe of the male-dominated um, you know, profession for years and years and years. So this is, I mean, to me, this is not new. But, not new. No.
1: I would say it's in every industry. Uh, it's, theater is just the microcosm of America, and every industry is almost male-dominated. I would find it very difficult to find one industry where there's a 50-50 ratio between the labor of um, men and women. That's sort of the the sexist world that we just sort of grow up in. It's just interesting where
0: you hope that art is a little bit more inclusive. One would hope because art is supposed to what? Break up on the brain, elucida- uh, enrich the heart, uh, profit the soul, uh, which, you know, however you want to phrase that, art is supposed to lead you to better things in our universe on a, on a personal and societal level. So... Why are we so scared of it? Um, and the
1: business model of it, you would think that you would right. also find women just as capable of selling theater tickets to, mm-hmm. since women are more than the majority, more than half of the audience. They're the majority. So you would
0: think you would cater to who's sitting in your seats or who you want to sit in your seats. Let's talk about who's sitting in the seats, because I've heard from... Several artistic directors and folks who are involved in fundraising and literary managers, dramaturgs, and all that sort of thing, that they have to pick shows that will fill their seats because theater in this country is – you don't know if you're going to be in business next year. Anything can happen, right? Ninety—or Not 90 percent, but a huge amount of, of, of a theater person's time is spent in fundraising, Keeping the doors open, keeping the air conditioning on, keeping the dimmers lit, and all that sort of thing. So, when looking at one's subscriber base, I've been told in a couple of a couple of uh, occasions that it seems to be middle-aged and upper. From there, mm-hmm. okay, so we're we're talking about an older audience, who mm-hmm. and here's here's where you know the fear comes into the eyes. Might not be the best audience to throw a trans play in front of. Now I don't know if that's true, okay? But I do know that a lot of uh, artistic directors and literary managers hedge their bets on the safe side. How do you get around that? I mean, are the audience because you were just talking about women being fifty percent or or greater of the audience? Where's where's yes. where's the truth in this? Uh,
1: I mean, I think I think I have two thoughts about this. One there's a version of this where the plays that you pick by women haven't really shifted the game at all. We can pick the most uh, produced women in the country who have a track record Uh of always getting an audience, and if we see Lynn Nottage and Annie Baker on every single season, at least that means that you're thinking about, oh, gender at all. Right. right? So There's a way that you can do this where you're only picking vetted plays by women that have already sort of shown their net worth and their ability to get seats in the house. So that's one way to look at it. Uh, The other way to look at it is, and I really believe this as a sort of lifer theater uh, professional, that we're really underestimating our audiences. I think of, in just a racial way, we could make that same argument for plays only by white writers, right? Because we're afraid of people of color, can they sell tickets? And I think something like Hamilton has sort of blown that out of the park we can have a diverse cast that talks about a classic uh, moment in history. We can use rap and contemporary music to tell a story. So there's, and, and we can make gazillions of dollars off of it, right. technically, gazillions. It's a faulty way to sort of look at theater change, the, the changes that are happening in the world being reflected
0: on the stage. I see your point with Hamilton. I'm not quite sure it's, it's the example that I find best to to because Hamilton is on Broadway. Okay. But it was off Broadway first. It was off Broadway first. But now the tickets are selling for I I gosh knows how much. And yes, it is breaking down walls, but it, what plays on off Broadway and what plays on Broadway? Okay, we're talking New York City, we're talking LA, Chicago. Will it play something like that play in a smaller regional? Can we get folks from the burbs to go see something culturally challenging, gender challenging? Know. Well, I mean,
1: if we look at something like Ruined by Lynn Nottage, mm-hmm. which started in Chicago, then uh, went to New York, and it was run the hell out of Off-Broadway, uh, and I think nominated if it didn't win the Pulitzer Prize, uh, we look at that play, which right. I think was one of the most produced plays in the country after that, right? We sure. look at that yeah. play, go, like, oh, oh, look, it can happen. That story, what does that story have to do with the rest of America? That story is about Africa. What is Mother Courage? She used Mother Courage as a reference point. Who cares about Mother Courage and Brecht in Middle America? And I think the point is, we don't know if they'll care or not unless we do it. We don't know who will come unless you have failures. I would actually say, unless there are some failures and some losses, the conversation is not valid. It's just an idea of what we suppose will happen.
0: I'm going to agree with what you said earlier. I do think we underestimate the capacity of our uh, audiences to embrace. Theater audiences, I believe, are different than most other audiences. They are willing to take more risks, and therefore I think we have an open road to just about anything. Um, Let's change tack just a little bit here. Why Kilroy? Where would you come up with that? (laughs) Uh, the Kilroys, uh, refers to the
1: World War II poster, right? That was used, uh, kind of as graffiti, the Kilroys. Mm-hmm. And we sort of thought, we're not, uh, we're not in, like, a brick-and-mortar institution. We're not trying to be that. We kind of refer to ourselves jokingly as a gang, and we kind of mean it like that. Um, the Kilroys were here is what the World War II propaganda, um, Cartoons sort of look like the graffiti, and we sort of think of us. We think of it like that. We just want to know that we're here, and we are sort of all underrepresented writers um, of that are women. We do exist. We have trained and studied with our male counterparts, who may be more successful than us. We uh, are the peers of all of the men who are working, we see their trajectories and their careers, and we know that there's a problem. So we kind of think about it like uh, it's more important that you know that we exist. Um, and there's a wink and a nod to that, too.
0: Okay. So it's, it's, there's a little bit of uh, subversity going on here.
1: There's nothing. Uh, this is sort of, it's a funny organization because I always say this is the most that I've ever given to the field that hasn't been about my own career. Uh, I think that might be true in some ways for for all of us. Uh, Writing is such a sort of personal endeavor and a personal career that you can't take everyone along with you. But we sort of looked at what is one small change that can happen that we really believe is possible, that isn't a detracting or a negative sort of way to deal with things. What's a positive outcome that we can make? And how can we be witty about it? And I think the Kilroys were here is one witty way to sort of go, also women playwrights exist. Even if you haven't seen us on your season, we exist.
0: Yeah, you, you started to, there's 13, am I correct? 13?
1: Yeah, okay. 13.
0: And you, all, you said you all got together over a dinner or this all started with a dinner somehow. Can you take us yeah. through the genesis of this? Because I find it hard to get four people into a room to okay. talk about the same thing. But you've got 13, started with a dinner, and you've been doing this since 2013. So, yeah, yeah, you just released your third list, which I do want to get to in a second. But how did you manage to make this happen? Well, we're all – granted, we're all in Los Angeles. And Los
1: Angeles is sort of like an expat community for theater artists. I think we find each other because the theater is more spread out – It's not like a New York or Chicago kind of a city that's really based on theater. So I think we all, we didn't even all come from the same cities or all necessarily know each other personally, although we knew each other professionally. Uh, So I feel like Los Angeles, the desert that it is, we sort of find these oases of community. And that's what this dinner was. This dinner was just a potluck with a few playwrights, um, all randomly women, not planned, specifically, to just sort of talk. And I think, I believe that this conversation was one of those conversations that could be a negative bitching conversation. Uh Um, Why why does theater suck? Why don't they produce women? Rah, 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 right? That's one of those conversations that I've had in many rooms with many playwrights all over the country. This particular conversation, um, Kelly Miller also brought up Franklin Leonard's Blacklist which he's used for years. And The Blacklist uh, is a list of uh, films that haven't yet been produced. The best films that producers and other industry types sort of select and vote on. And over the years, The Blacklist has become really an industry standard. And at this point, you can look at the play, the uh, films that are on The Blacklist and sort of look at their production history, look at... What's nominated for an Academy Award down the line. And we sort of thought we can take that mop and use it. And use it uh, in a theater sense. And use it not just to say these are the best plays, which we never say, but the, the most selected plays. The plays that other theater industry people who have had to see at least 20 plays over the year to even vote and to nominate any writers on the Kilroy's list, Uh, we would use that sort of same model. And by using that model, we would also sort of um, flip the script a little bit and sort of go, these are vetted plays. This isn't a play that was just fresh baked that nobody heard. This is a play that at least five industry professionals have sort of selected and said, we think this is worth it. We want to see this play, get the support that we think it deserves. And so we really, I think it really came from, oh, wait, we can do change on our own. We don't actually have to wait for anybody. We won't even, the very first list that we dropped, we actually, uh, we we didn't mention it at all. It was a secret group. Was that a revelation we just to,
0: to, to say to yourselves, we don't have to wait for anybody else? We don't have to ask, I mean we can just do this and go ahead and start making an impact?
1: I think uh, the vastness of it was a very big surprise. Um, We thought we were doing something cool. We thought we were doing something we really believed in, but we had no idea what the effects would be, if anyone would hear us or if anyone would actually care. I think we realized that we had something on our hands when the New York Times agreed to launch it with us. That was sort of the first, oh, We're doing it on our own. And the very first year, we did everything on our own. The 13 of us uh, sent every single email, uh, contacted every single person. Sheila Callahan created the website. We did everything on our own and we paid for it ourselves. And I think we spent about 200 bucks altogether. So I think, if nothing else, the Kilroy's is a model that we are in a new time and that change can happen with artists working independently and artists who might be disenfranchised in some way or another together, collectively, can actually sort of shift the paradigm to a certain extent. That power is actually in our hands and I think none of us have really thought about it. I always thought if I wanted to do something important, if I really wanted to change the game, I'd have to start a theatre company. And I don't want to start a theatre company. I want to be a writer. And this organization allowed us to sort of still be writers, not have this be our entire career, the Kilroys, but just an aspect of it, just an aspect of the change we want to see and be in this world. Are you all playwrights? No. Uh, Most of us are playwrights slash television writers, and uh, about three of us are theater producers or former lit managers for theaters.
0: Gotcha. How do you manage to find... Your list. I mean, the the surveying must take hundreds of hours.
1: Well, we have it down to a little bit of a science. Our very first list and our second list, we spent a lot of time uh, seeking uh, possible nominators. So we sent out lists really the most diverse asks that we could for theater professionals, and we actually looked at a map so that we didn't just hit the big theater cities. Mm-hmm. We didn't just uh-huh. hit New York and Chicago. Uh, but we wanted to actually kind of hit as much of America as we possibly could, so we called emailed people. And we also asked some people that we know, um, some people running theater organizations, can you list uh, some of the very um, uh, important theater makers or theater producers in this country that really are seeing stuff that maybe everyone's not seeing? And our goal was to amass a really exciting list that was nothing like the theater list that you would normally find. We wanted a diverse list. We wanted um, people of all races. We wanted trans nominees. We wanted nominators. We wanted everyone to sort of look like America, the America that we actually lived in, so that we didn't just have a whole bunch of people from Yale on our list that we actually had um, more emerging playwrights, playwrights that maybe don't yet have agency, uh, a representation. We, uh, so we spent a lot of time doing this. And then we also opened up our website. On our website, you can self-nominate yourself. If you would like to be a nominator and you have seen at least 20 plays, you are also open and free to nominate plays yourself. So we wanted to make this as open as possible and as democratic as possible. And that we weren't just seeking the fancy people who would nominate plays, but we would see the people who have more experience with community theater or the people who don't produce but are lit managers or the people who are actors and have acted in a million plays or been in a million readings and have a sense of what's exciting work that they would like to see. You never have a chance for actors to actually have an input in any of the decisions of what makes a play good right you're normally just used uh to support the play so we wanted to have um a group that was exciting and diverse as sort of the theater that we all know is possible
0: sounds like an awful lot of work third uh third year list just came out how many plays are you finding in these lists per year i don't have the statistics
1: in front of me but they're easy to find But the one thing that we did this year for our third list is we realized we have the power of the list. So this year's list only could include plays that have not received a production. The last two lists, the plays could have only been produced, I think, two times tops. And these had to be brand new plays, which changed uh, the nomination list completely, Uh which made... Uh And we also had to sort of choose how many plays do we uh, want to list. And this is always sort of a conversation within the group, because there's so many amazing plays. And at a certain point, we have to make uh, a choice. Are there going to be plays that make the list that have four nominations or plays that that have three nominations? I believe this year we went through four nominated plays, and the list was a little bit smaller. It was 30-something plays, kind of on purpose to highlight the plays. And all the other plays receive honorable mentions and are also listed so that the list winds up being pretty big. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've had people say that they've actually sifted through both uh, honorable mentions as well as the practical list. And weirdly, what's, what's been sort of affirming is how excited everyone is to be a part of it in any capacity, whether it's honorable mention or the list. There's some value in it. There's some value in being seen, uh, having people nominate your work is extremely validating. The weirdest thing that happened, I think, for our very first list, is we had both emerging playwrights who were super psyched, and we called Paula Vogel, who was equally as excited, which was shocking, because she's Paula Vogel. Uh, yeah. Why does she, <laughs> right? why, We all right. know her, but why does she need this validation? And we realized, you know, Paula hasn't been on a, se- a stage every single season. She is not working as much as some um, of her male contemporaries every
0: single season. We all know her. Paula writes tricky, dangerous material. I I remember the first time I saw How I Learned to Drive, and I literally came walking out of the theater practically spitting in anger because I had just been sucker punched right between the eyes. And that's not something you can do to audiences over and over, and over, so I guess she is Paula Vogel, and yes, you know, uh, she is, she, Rap. she's can been to the know? end and back, but seriously, you
1: know. I just mean, I mean, even you saying that, can you do it with Adam Rap, who's on C Can you do it with Annie Baker? Can you uh, can you Tennessee Williams is the same, do you know um, what that, I mean? These are the I'm... motions that we really want, and we're only sort of seeing them uh, in Male playwrights. I always say, when's the last time you saw someone be as dark and fucked up as Adam Rapp? That's a woman. When's the last time you saw some woman who could do some of the same tricks that male writers do? Why isn't Lucy Thurber on every single season? She's doing the same kind of work. Uh, Why are only certain women making it through? And even the women that we know are really good, why don't we see them every single season? But we might see Sam Hunter. Many, many times. Sure, Everybody's sure. good, but what are these choices that we're making and what are they actually doing to the work in general? What are they doing to the history of this work? Adrienne Kennedy is one example. She was nominated for the list and she actually said she wouldn't be on a list because she is not for any sorts of lists. But in conversation with her, uh, who is the most, one of the, the most revered and studied playwrights that we all sort of know, and she says she's actually taught more than she's produced. And who are her contemporaries? It's Edward Albee. Now, granted, her plays are crazy, and they're tough, and they're difficult, and they involve some yeah. focus, right? But so do some of Edward Albee's plays. Absolutely, See, sure. He's exactly. a direct sure. of hers. And you know, what are these choices that we make, and what's being left behind for the younger theater students to study? What's the longevity if it's a, white men are the ones that sort of are making our idea of theater? What's left behind for us to sort of study and change and grow as artists? Problematic.
0: Good question. Good question. On your website, you have trans asterisk. Yeah. Can you explicate that just a tad, please?
1: Yes. Uh, in our sort of striving to be on top of language and sort of what it means right now, trans with a star is the correct way to write that term. Okay. It just is. Um, It's sort of the way cisgender isn't really, is just becoming part of all of our sort of language repertoire. Mm -hmm. That's the trans, Uh that's the trans term. So we're actually just trying to be up to date and uh, inclusive of the communities that uh, we are speaking to.
0: So you're doing wonderful things for the cake industry, I hear, correct? <laughs> uh, yeah, the cake drop, really sort
1: of our goals are how can we do subversive um, events, moments that we don't publicize beforehand that we just do. We kind of thought we were really over people talking about stuff, right? It feels like right now the trend is if there's, an, there's a problem in theater, then maybe we should have a roundtable conversation, which may not affect any change at all but let's just have a town hall meeting and discuss the issues that have been happening for the last 50 years, right? Uh-huh. That seems to be what uh-huh. happens regularly. We wanted to do something completely opposite, and we thought we should celebrate the some of the theaters who we think are doing really good work and are reaching gender parity, are reaching a 50-50 or more um, inclusiveness on their stages. And so we selected... Uh, about a dozen uh, theaters all over the country who have been doing that work or have a history of doing that work, and we surprised them with a cake. And what was fun about our cake drop, as we called it, is we surprised them with a cake generally with one of the female playwrights that they had produced to surprise them in a double way. And what we really wanted to do there is sort of just celebrate the good work and acknowledge when things are happening and progressing, as opposed to only discussing the theaters who aren't doing it, only criticizing. We actually kind of want to be a positive model, uh, and looking at that as very much a more proactive way than a sort of a negative,
0: critical way of thinking only. Sure. Uh, sure. It's, it's much less threatening, much warmer, and there's nothing like making friends, Right.
1: <laughs> there's nothing like cake unless you're gluten intolerant, like Well, me. that's what
0: there's also. <laughs> <is>. Yeah, true. <laughs> last thing uh, I want to get into, and, and it's, it's a shameless plug for you guys, but uh, you have a book of monologues, right? I do, I do. Uh,
1: yes, it's been just produced in the last couple of months, and it is uh, monologues from, I believe, our first two years. So we're hoping to do another one, too. We wanted to give students and other artists a chance to sort of see uh, all of these monologues in print, as many as we could possibly do, and sort of have it be tangible and not
0: just a list on your computer, but a tangible book. I love tangible books. Um, Last thing, and then I'll let you go. Uh, My audience is going to have female playwrights and trans with a star playwrights. What do you want to say to them? What's your advice?
1: Uh, I think my advice is keep writing. What I think about, I was thinking about this with Edward Albee's passing. The one thing that we have as writers is the future. We have history. So I often think I'm not actually writing for today. I'm not writing to just be produced in my lifetime. I'm really writing for the future. I'm writing for that person in a hundred years who's looking for a sense of what the world was like, what these people like me felt like or saw or the questions that we had and that's why you should be writing. You can't write for success, you can't write uh, for monetary gains, you can only write because you have a story to tell and you think it's necessary. Uh, If not, we don't really need any more plays. We could all stop writing right now and there'd be too many plays to produce for the end of time. You are writing because you have something to say. You're the best person to say it. And you're not going to stop until you're heard one way or the other. So you're writing for yourself. Let all the other white noise go away and focus on the play.
0: That is brilliant and wonderful advice. Thank you. Um, Sakia Alexander, it has been a thrill talking with you. And finding out more about the Kilroys. Uh, I know you'll have many more years of uh, operation and awards and cakes and all that sort of good thing. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me and being a supporter of the Kilroys. Love to. Hey kids, thanks for listening to On Stage Off Stage. On Stage Off Stage is produced monthly and all of our shows can be found at onstageoffstage.org and also on iTunes. If you enjoy what we do, please recommend us to your friends. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at OnOffStage. And if you are a theater artist with an upcoming project of interest or work in a part of theater that we haven't yet covered, oddly enough, or know someone in the theater world who'd make good chat, please send us a note at info at onstageoffstage.org. Our intro and outro music is Surf Far, Surf Good by the composer Steve Channin. You can hear more of his work on SoundCloud. Onstage Offstage wishes to let its listeners know that we believe in and advocate for a world where all people are free to live their lives as they wish, in peace, without fear. We believe in zero tolerance for acts of hate and bigotry. We believe in universal respect, diversity, and equality in all areas of life for all people, no matter what their nationality, race, religion, age, sexual status, or gender orientation. On stage, off stage, will never promote or endorse those who seek to diminish others because of who they are. I'm George Sapio. Thank you once again, and happy theatering to all of you.